Saint Sister Faustina, God's messenger of divine mercy. There is a time for mercy and a time for justice. Expelling Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden was an act of God's justice. But even then, as the angel was blocking the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and ushering our first parents out into the cold world, God was showing his mercy to us through his promise of the Messiah, the Redeemer. God has always lived up to his word. Throughout salvation history, we have been beneficiaries of God's mercy, and very few times has he let loose his justice. Sodom and Gomorrah was God's justice. Noah and the ark was God's justice, but also mingled with God's mercy. The miracle of Moses and the Jews crossing the Red Sea was God's mercy, coupled with God's justice and the fairest charioteers. When finally we are in the last days, we possibly the end of the world at hand, and we are about to face the last judgment, at that time the God of mercy will give way to the God of justice. God has continued to give us the benefit of his mercy down through the centuries. A powerful messenger of God's mercy, which parallels Saint Sister Faustina and devotion to divine mercy, is Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque and the promises of the Sacred Heart devotion. Through her, God manifested and made known his mercy through his Sacred Heart in the 17th century. We come to the 20th century, the dawn of the last century of the second millennium and we find that God has sent us prophets and visionaries once more to warn his children. There have been many prophecies including one by Saint Don Bosco that lend credibility to the strong belief that the second coming will occur at the end of this last decade of the 20th century. The world is behaving with the same insane euphoria as it did at the time of the fall of Greece and Rome. Decadence, promiscuity, concupiscence, and apostasy are rampant. If we were ever in need of God's mercy, it is now. And so, our Lord answers our prayers before we even know we need his aid. Early in the 20th century, the Lord gave us a simple servant, Helen Kowalska, born in the small village of Glogowicz, Poland, on August 25, 1905, the day before the National Feast of Our Lady of Shestahova. Poland is much like Mexico, 95% Catholic, but 98% Shestahovan. They have always had a great devotion to Our Lady under that title. She has saved them from utter destruction many times in the history of this troubled country. Poland has been dominated throughout the centuries to a great extent by her next-door neighbors, Germany and Russia. From time to time, each will take turns invading and pillaging Poland. The period of time when Helen Kowalska grew up in the little village of what is today central Poland was a turbulent time in the stormy history of the country. Just prior to Helen's birth, Poland had been chopped up by its neighbors. In 1918, when Helen was only 13, a new republic was created which gave the country just a fraction of its former land, small enough to guarantee it will never be a threat to either Russia or Germany. But even that only lasted 21 years when Nazi Germany invaded Poland and Russia, then part of the Soviet Union, then followed by occupying her until 1989. We believe this period, this 33 years in the life of Helen Kowalska, later to be known by the whole world as Sister Faustina, and now Saint Sister Faustina, was to give us strength, courage, and trust in God's mercy, which we would need desperately in this last century of the second millennium. But on an immediate scale, it was to prepare the people of Poland for the hell this dear country will have to endure for the next 51 years following the death of Sister Faustina. Our Lord knew what strength the people would need, and he began giving it to them through his apparitions and messages to Sister Faustina. Sister Faustina's Early Days As with many families of that time, Helen's father was a stern man, a, disciplina a disciplinarian who maintained a strong grip on his family. He was also, however, a very spiritual man who prayed diligently. In her diary, Sister Faustina writes how impressed she was with the way her father prayed. But for the most part, 
the children received their religious training from their mother. Marianne Kowalska was a very loving, pious woman who insisted she give her children a strong foundation of the faith so that they too would be able to pass this on to their children. Daily prayer, the rosary, observance of Lenten and Advent fast, and abstinence were all part of Helen's upbringing. Although they never had money, the parents gave high priority to trying whenever possible to save a little to buy books on the saints. Helen loved to hear stories of the monks and hermits. She used to share these stories with the children with whom she played. Helen felt the strong presence of the Lord Jesus in her heart from an early age. She tells us in her diary that when she was seven years old, she felt a call to the religious life. From the age of seven, I experienced the definite call of God, the grace of a vocation to the religious life. It was in the seventh year of my life that for the first time, I heard God's voice in my soul. That is an invitation to a more perfect life. Helen's strongest fusion with Jesus came during communion or in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Receiving Jesus in the Eucharist was a high point of her life. When I was present at Vespers and, and the Lord Jesus was exposed in the monstrance, it was then that for the first time God's love was imparted to me and filled my little heart. At another point, she wrote in her diary, The most solemn moment of my life is the moment when I receive Holy Communion. And for every Holy Communion, I give thanks to the Most Holy Trinity. If the angels were capable of envy, they would envy us for two things. One is the receiving of Holy Communion, and the other is for suffering. And yet, as a child, Helen was willing to sacrifice this most special gift, going to Mass, so that her sisters could use the one Sunday outfit available to go to Mass. At these times, she received spiritual communion. She would hide in a corner and just pray. She closed herself off from the whole world and spiritually joined them at Mass. Even her dear mother, who might call her to perform one task or another, would have to wait until the Mass in the church was over because Helen became so lost communicating with the Lord. Helen's formal education was very short. This, this created some problem in the translation and use of her diary as a source of information about her life and the mission of divine mercy. It was written by a person with less than two years education. Sentences were not properly structured, grammar was incorrect, meanings were not clear. There would come a time when the enemy would cause this lack of education to be a major stumbling block, the major grounds for having the devotions to the divine mercy of God suspended by the Vatican for 20 years. Does this not remind us of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament? The Lord made Gideon send home most of his soldiers because he wanted all the world, especially Gideon and his people, to know that he was delivering them from the hands of their enemies and not the power of Gideon or the soldiers. The same occurred with Faustina. The Lord was probably saying to us, don't get the idea that anyone but me gave this devotion to Faustina and that anyone but me will have it accepted in the church. Helen's whole life was centered around visions and interlocutions. She talks about them in her diary extensively. She believed that every one of her visions had a special meaning for her. When she went to Woods, it was to help her family. She became a domestic and housekeeper at the home of a woman who owned a bakery. She was only 14. The family needed her income to help support them. One day, Helen had a vision in broad daylight. Actually, what she experienced was a brightness more radiant than the sun. She knew it was the Lord speaking to her heart. She returned home and asked her mother and father to allow her to enter a convent. Now, we know that her parents were indeed pious people. They believed in vocations but could not, would not even consider allowing Helen to enter a convent. It was an open and shut case. Years later, her mother Marianne confessed they were reluctant to give up their most beloved child. However, they did feel certain guilt about suppressing Helen in her desire to follow a vocation. 
Being an obedient daughter, she went back to Woods and continued to work as a domestic. As part of her job, she worked for a group of women who were third-order Franciscans. She regained the courage to ask her parents again, and again, she was refused. Helen decided to go with the program. If she were not to be a religious, she might as well adapt to the secular world. She went to a dance with her friends at a park in Woods. By this time, she was 18 years old. While everybody was having a good time, my soul was experiencing deep torments. As I began to dance, I suddenly saw Jesus at my side. Jesus, racked with pain, stripped of his clothing, all covered with wounds, who spoke these words to me. How long shall I put up with you and how long will you keep putting me off? Helen, completely shaken by this, left the party in tears. She immediately ran to the Cathedral of St. Stanislaus and prostrated herself on the floor near the main altar. She prayed for what seemed like forever. She heard in the depths of her heart, Go to Warsaw, you will enter a convent there. The die was cast. Helen could not ignore what the Lord was saying to her. She had put him off long enough. She couldn't do it anymore. It was time. She left the same day for Warsaw. This reminds us of St. Joseph who was sleeping in the cave in Bethlehem when after the baby was born, the angel Gabriel came to him and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Talk about obedience. But this situation was even more ominous. Helen had never been to a big city, which was the biggest city she'd ever been to. It was big, but not like Warsaw. We've been to both cities. It had to be a frightening experience. At least in which she had sisters, an aunt and an uncle. She didn't know anyone in Warsaw. It had to be at least 130 kilometers from Woods. But she said yes to the Lord, and she went. Helen only brought one dress with her and whatever little thing she owned, which was not much. When she got off the train in Warsaw, her reaction was natural. She panicked. Everyone was heading in different directions. They knew they were where they were going. She had no direction to take. She was quite alone, except for her holy family. She prayed to Our Lady, Lead me in a direction, please. She was given the message to go to a nearby village where she would find safe lodging for the night. It was as if Our Lady was saying to her, You made the big hurdle today. We'll take care of the little one tomorrow. She did as Our Lady had instructed her, and behold, everything was as it should be. Immediately, I heard these words within me telling me to leave the town, Warsaw, and go to a certain nearby village where I would find a safe lodging for the night. I did so and found, in fact, that everything was just as the Mother of God told me. The next morning, Helen headed into Warsaw again. She had a little more confidence, knowing she was under the mantle of Mary. She was given a thought when she got off the train. Go to the nearest church, which was St. James Church. She stayed in the church during many Masses, until she felt she was being told to speak to a particular priest, the pastor of the church. She went into the sacristy and spoke to him, explaining all that had happened. He sent her to a woman parishioner who invited her to stay with her while Helen searched for the convent which was right for her. That turned out to be more of an undertaking than she thought it would be. No matter where she turned, the doors were closed. Lack of dowry was a major factor. In addition, her limited education was a stumbling block as well. She knew the Lord had sent her in this direction. She couldn't understand why she was having such a difficult time. She begged Jesus, help me, don't leave me alone. She may have been discouraged, but she had a lot of spunk. She just kept going from convent to convent. The Lord had told her to do this, and she knew he would not let her down. But there were times when she found herself becoming discouraged in her quest. The Lord answered her prayer in his timetable. That's really something we all have to learn. Prayers are always answered. They are not necessarily answered according to our schedule, but they are answered. The response is not always what we want to hear, but the powerful teaching is that the Lord is always with us, 
always listening, always watching out for us. And when the time is right and the request is right, he answers. Helen walked to the door of the mother house of the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy on Sydney Street in Warsaw. She was interviewed by Mother Michaela, the Mother General of the community. We believe it was the Lord who touched the heart of the Mother General. Helen had not said anything differently to her than she had to any of the other communities. But at the end of a relatively brief interview, Mother asked her, asked her to speak to the master of the house and ask him if this was the community for her. Helen knew this was it. She was told to speak to the Lord. Well, he was the one who sent her on this quest in the first place. She went into the chapel and heard in her heart, I do accept, you are in my heart. Helen returned to the mother general and told her what she had heard. M mother told her, if the Lord has accepted, so do I accept. Helen was home. We went to the mother house of the congregation of Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy for the first time in May 1993 to videotape the life of, Sa of Sister Faustina. While, while the building looks the way it did when Helen Kowalska entered in July 1924, it is not the original. The entire building indeed, 85% of Warsaw was burned to the ground at the end of World War II as part of Hitler's scorched earth policy. Most of the city was rebuilt according to old photos or paintings or architectural plans. The congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy was rebuilt. But there is a step there at the very entrance of the general house, which was there when St. Sister Faustina set foot on it. It's the only thing in that building which is left from the time of Sister Faustina. While Helen was accepted, she still had to go back to the world for one year. She had to save money for a diary, at least enough to cover her clothing expenses. The congregation was and still is a poor community. There is always more going out than coming in, and so it was in 1924. But there was more to it than just that. Mother Michaela, a wise superior, wanted Helen to reach harder for the goal, to work for it, and also to be sure of her vocation, as sure as any of us can be when we are on the threshold of entering a religious community. Sometimes we paint our own pictures or write our own scripts of how we believe it's going to be. We fantasize according to our own desires and agenda. Helen was no different. When her year of waiting was over, on August 1st, 1925, she eagerly entered the congregation. The dream that she had been so desirous of seeing fulfilled had finally come about. After myriads of rejections, and would you believe it, within a few weeks she wanted to leave. She was walking through the halls, actually looking for Mother Michaela to tell her that she was going to leave. However, she couldn't find her, so she went into the chapel hoping to receive a message from Jesus, but nothing was forthcoming. Helen stayed there for a long time, long after all the others had gone to bed. She quietly went into her cell and threw herself on the floor in prayer. She wanted desperately to know God's will. Suddenly, the room became so bright it was like daylight. She saw the sorrowful face of Jesus on, on, her, on the curtain of her cell. There were open wounds on his face, and large tears were falling on my bedspread. Not knowing what all, his, all this meant, I asked Jesus, Jesus, who has hurt you so? Our Lord, our Lord spoke to Helen. It is you who will cause me this pain if you leave this convent. It is to this place that I called you and nowhere else, and I have prepared many graces for you. She took this as a definite sign that the Lord wanted her to be in this place. While there was no way for her to know all that Jesus had in store for her, in hindsight, we can see the whole perspective of what was to come through the servant. But the Lord insisted on her cooperation, her yes. The following morning, she confessed all to her confessor who affirmed the Lord wanted her to remain with this congregation. Shortly after this, Helen was sent to a vacation house of the community in a suburb of Warsaw called Skolimau. She was worn out, 
Apparently, the rigor of religious life, while it could not have been as physically strenuous as her life as a domestic, did take its toll on her. She was not very strong during her years with the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. At any rate, it was in this house that Helen was given a vision of purgatory. She shared it in her diary. It was at this time that I asked the Lord who else I should pray for. Jesus said that on the following night, he would let me know for whom I should pray. The next night, I saw my guardian angel, who ordered me to follow him. In a moment, I was in a misty place full of fire, in which there was a great crowd of suffering souls. They were praying fervently for themselves, but to no avail. Only we can come to their aid. The flames which were burning them did not touch me at all. My guardian angel did not leave me for an instant. I asked these souls what their greatest suffering was. They answered me that their greatest torment was longing for God. I saw Our Lady visiting the souls in purgatory. The souls call her the start of the sea. She brings them refreshment. I wanted to talk with them some more, but my guardian angel beckoned me to leave. We went out that prison of suffering. I heard an interior voice which said, My mercy does not want this, but justice demands it. We don't know if the 19-year-old Helen understood at that moment what the Lord was saying to her, or if she realized he was preparing her for her great mission, bringing the message of divine mercy to the world. But she was beginning her journey, and the Lord will do the rest. At the beginning of 1926, Helen was sent to the novitiate in Krakow to finish her postulancy. It was a good place for her. She recalled with fond memories her time there. In April, she was given her habit and her religious name, which was to become famous the world over, Sister Mary Faustina. From here on in, she will be called Sister Faustina. After two years, she made her first profession of vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. These were to be renewed every five years. In 1933, she would make her final profession and would come back to Krakow to make that profession. We mentioned that Sister Faustina was not an overly educated girl. She had few skills, mostly in domestic and kitchen work, but these were put to good use in her vocation as a nun. She worked her whole life taking care of the, of the door, gardening, cleaning, and working in the kitchen. She never let on her mystical experiences or her visions of Jesus. She was very quiet and unassuming. She did not make herself well known in the community, but stayed very much to herself, immersed in her relationship with Jesus. But she was being molded all the time. Actually, the Lord had such a mammoth plan for Sister Faustina that she could not have handled a really important job in the convent. She would not have had time for it. She was graced throughout her life with visions, revelations, the hidden stigmata, mystical engagement, and marriage to Jesus. The next few years were ones of training by the Lord. Looking back, we can see what his plan was. But it definitely not likely Sister Faustina had a clue what he was trying to accomplish to her. She only said yes. One thing she may have been able to realize was what he wanted was obedience. As you go through this book, you will find that this is one underlying trait which the Lord asked of all the visionaries, mystics, and stigmatists, and for that matter, all the saints. Sister Faustina could not accept that, but she probably did not know why the Lord was developing her in this way. She really didn't care, though. She had a strong personal relationship with the Lord, and she could put up with anything as long as that was not jeopardized. The Dark Night of the Soul Sister Faustina suffered throughout most of her novitiate period. She had constant interior struggles. She was completely dry. She couldn't meditate. She could not feel the presence of God within her. She endured great torments and temptations even in the chapel. She writes, More than once, all through Holy Mass, I had to struggle against blasphemous thoughts which were forcing themselves to my lips. It seemed to me that by approaching the Holy Sacraments, I was offending God even more. God was working very strangely in my soul. 
I did not understand anything at all of what my confessor was telling me. The simple truths of the faith became incomprehensible to me. My soul was in anguish, unable to find comfort anywhere. While Sister Faustina felt very alone, she had a great support system from her new novice mistress, Sister Joseph Brososa. She was able to see in Faustina great gifts from the Lord. At one point, Faustina felt completely rejected by God. Sister Joseph said to her, Know, dear sister, that God has chosen you for great sanctity. This is a sign that God wants to, ha wants to have you very close to himself in heaven. Have great trust in the Lord Jesus. The mother directress had a great sensitivity where Faustina was concerned. Her confessor was also very supportive, but Faustina had difficulty expressing herself to him. He, too, saw very special qualities in her. He realized her trials were tests from the Lord. He told her, This is a sign that God loves you very much and that he has great confidence in you, since he is sending you such trials. But then he also confused her in the same period when he told her to pray the Te Deum or Magnificat and then to run fast around the garden in the evening or to laugh out loud ten times a day. Sister Faustina thought either he didn't understand her or that he didn't take her completely seriously. Well, think about it. This is not a normal situation between a novice and her confessor. This young woman has a special relationship with Jesus, and even with that, she's going through some of the greatest spiritual suffering a soul could endure. It would take a very special person to direct her spiritually. The ability to do this will have to come from the Lord. No man would have the right spirit, the right words on his own. The problem of a spiritual director was no different for St. Sister Faustina than it was for St. Teresa of Avila or thousands of other people specially chosen by the Lord and Our Lady to be the recipients of visions or locutions from them. The Vision of Divine Mercy The Lord had an urgency to give Sister Faustina the message of divine mercy with or without a spiritual director, and so the day was to come on February 22, 1931, in Vilnius, when the Lord's vision will begin to be revealed to her. She was in her cell. She saw the Lord Jesus clothed in a white garment, as she explains it. One hand was raised in the gesture of blessing. The other was touching his garment at the breast. From beneath the garment, slightly drawn aside at the breast, there was emanating two large rays, one red, the other pale. In silence, I kept my gaze fixed on the Lord. My soul was struck with awe, but also with great joy. After a while, Jesus said to me, Paint an image according to the pattern you see with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. I desire that this message be venerated first in your chapel and then throughout the world. I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. I also promise victory over its enemies already here on earth, especially at the hour of death. I myself will defend it as my own glory. Now Faustina didn't know what to do with this. She herself didn't know how to paint. She was assuming that the Lord wanted her to do it. He said, paint an image according to the pattern you see. He did tell her to instruct someone else to paint the image or go out and have it made. Secondly, and perhaps even more difficult to her way of thinking was, I desire that this image be venerated first in your chapel and then throughout the whole world. How will she go about accomplishing that? Her logical mind dictated that she speak to her confessor. The confessor got the wrong message, or perhaps the Lord did not want to make it too easy for Faustina to execute his wishes. The confessor told her the Lord was referring to her soul. Paint God's image in your soul. As she left the confessional, she heard the words, My image is already in your soul. I desire that there be a feast of mercy. I want this image, which you will paint with a brush, to be solemnly blessed on the first Sunday after Easter. That's, that Sunday is to be the Feast of, of Mercy. So much for the image in your soul theory. Faustina went to her mother superior, 
explained what Jesus wanted, and asked what should she do. The mother superior answered that Jesus would give some signs so that they could recognize that it was him speaking to Sister Faustina. Jesus told her, I will make this all clear to the superior by means of the graces which I will grant through this image. So much, so much for the special sign. This became a major cause of frustration, and after a time, Sister Faustina wanted to distance herself from the visions and the responsibility of having the image painted. After all, no one believed her, or at least no one cooperated with her. She had no spiritual director. She had no regular confessor. She really had no one she could turn to. Part of the reason for that was the fact that she moved around so much in her 13 years of religious life. Sister Faustina was in 14 different religious houses in 13 years. The reason given was that there was such a growth in the building of houses in Poland and Lithuania and such a need for the type of help Faustina provided in the kitchen as well as doorkeeper and as gardener. But it played habit with her spirituality. As each time she changed location, she also had to change confessor and spiritual director. None of them were able to get to know her. She was a very unique and difficult person to direct, but for priests who did not know her or would only be with her a short time, it created a major problem. She felt a great deal of pressure from the Lord to have the painting made and distributed all over the world. She could sense the importance of his directive to her and judge she was not qualified to do the job. Because of the pressure, her behavior in front of the other sisters was being called erratic and hysterical. Somehow, the rumor was that she was having visions spread. This also caused some jealousy as well as disbelief. The Satan of jealousy and disbelief caused some sisters to go out, to go out of their way to hurt Sister Faustina. One sister in particular tortured her regarding her probations. She needed three probations before she could take her final vows. Being held up on these probations meant Sister Faustina would have to wait longer than usual before she could make her final profession. In 1932, she was preparing for her third and last probation. One of the sisters said to her, Sister, you will not be going for the third probation. I will see to it that you will not be permitted to make your vows. This cuts Sister Faustina to the quick. This was, her, this was her most important time as religious. Later in the chapel, her Savior spoke gently to her. At this very moment, the superiors are deciding which sisters will be permitted to take perpetual vows. Not all of them will be granted this grace, but this is their own fault. He who does not take advantage of small graces will not receive great ones. But to you, my child, this grace is being given. This was in contradiction to what the angry sister had said. But naturally, you know whose word Faustina was going to take. As the Lord had said, she was accepted to go forward to the last step prior to final vows. But again, she had to move, this time to Warsaw, for her third probation. When she arrived there, the sister who had vowed to block her was surprised to see her there. But Faustina just went into the chapel to speak to the Lord. You got to understand what was going on in her mind and heart. Sister Faustina had to have doubts. Even though she was given so many graces, this was a very unusual situation, constantly being in the presence of God. Nobody can just take this for granted. Most of her spiritual direction, from priests who really didn't know her, and from her superiors who were limited as to how much they could advise her, didn't really help to allay her fears and suspicions. Before the retreat which preceded her vows, the Lord spoke to Faustina. He tried to convince her that it was he who spoke to her. And as a proof that it is I who am speaking to you, you will go to confession on the second day of the retreat to the priest who is preaching the retreat. You will go to him as soon as he has finished his conference and will present to him all your doubts concerning me. I will answer you through his lips, and then your fears will end. 
That's when the committee meeting with herself, as Mother Angelica calls it, began in her mind. Should I? Shouldn't I? Old, old Satan got his licks in good, putting great doubts in her mind. Her committee meeting went like this. Didn't Mother tell you that the Lord Jesus doesn't com commune with souls as miserable as yours? This confessor is going to tell you the same thing. Why speak to him about all this? These are not sin sins, and Mother told you that all this communing with the Lord Jesus was daydreaming and pure hysteria. So why tell it to this confessor? This poor child went through the worst agony trying to discern if it was really the Lord speaking to her. But just as Jesus had predicted, the confessor affirmed her visions. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and given understanding of the entire situation. He said to her, Sister, you distrust the Lord Jesus because he treats you so kindly. Well, sister, be completely at peace. Jesus is your master, and your communion with him is neither daydreaming nor hysteria nor illusion. Know that you are on the right path. Please try to be faithful to these graces. You are not free to shun them. You should carry out what he, Jesus, asks of you, even if this costs you greatly. On the other hand, you must tell your confessor everything. There is absolutely no other course for you to take, sister. Pray that you will find a spiritual director or else you will waste these great gifts of God. And so, like our other visionaries, mystics, and stigmatists in this book, Sister Faustina carried out what Jesus asked of her, even though it cost her greatly. But the Lord blessed her mightily. He told her, I desire that you know more profoundly the love that burns in my heart for souls, and you will understand this when you meditate upon my passion. Call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you say this prayer with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. This is a, the prayer. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. During Lent of 1933, Sister Faustina was given the gift of sharing in the Passion of Christ as she received the invisible stigmata. This did not happen, happen once, but many times during that Lent. On Easter Sunday, she was given the gift of an ecstasy. Our, lo our Lord said to her, You have taken a great part in my passion, therefore I now give you a great share in my joy and glory. She didn't share any of this with her superiors, only her confessor. But she was to be brought back down again by doubts because of things that different confessors said to her. On one occasion, she was told, I cannot discern what power is at work in you, sister. Perhaps it is God and perhaps it is the evil spirit. That put her right down into her, the pits. Then we're not sure if it was the same confessor, but another time she was told, it would be better if you did not come to me for confession. But the Lord saved her again. She went before the Blessed Sacrament and pleaded, Jesus, save me. You see how weak I am. The Lord spoke very softly to her, words of consolation. I will give you help during the retreat before the vows. She couldn't wait for the retreat to begin, which will culminate in her perpetual vows ten days later. Jesus kept reassuring her that she should be in peace because he was going to take care of everything through Father Andras. He said to her, Be like a child towards him. Sister Faustina went to confession to Father Andras, not her normal confessor. She asked for a release from these interior inspirations and from the obligation to have the painting made. Father Andras railed, railed into her, I I will dispense you from nothing, sister. It is not right for you to turn away from these interior inspirations, but you must absolutely, and I say absolutely, speak about them to your confessor. Otherwise, you will go astray despite the great graces you are receiving from God. But I don't have a confessor, Father Andras. You are the only confessor I have. 
Sister Faustina wanted to shout, but she didn't. The priest insisted she get a regular confessor, but could double as spiritual director, at least for the time being. She needed to be able to lay out her entire spiritual life and let him get to know her so that he could intelligently answer her questions. Father told her to pray for a good confessor. The Lord had already given her the priest who was to be her spiritual director during a vision in Warsaw, Father Michael Sopoko. She prayed and saw him again in a second vision during this retreat prior to perpetual vows, standing between the confessional and the altar. She knew the Lord had given this priest to her for spiritual direction and to be her confessor. But she did not meet Father Sopoko until the following month, May 1933, in Vilnius. The flavor of the spiritual direction she received from Father Sopoko is as follows. He wanted her to experience humility. He used Ignatian spirituality. Ignatius teaches one is advised not only to defend themselves against attacks when reproached, but rejoice in the humiliation. Father Sopoko told her, If the things you are telling me really come from God, prepare your soul for great suffering. You will encounter disapproval and persecution. They will look upon you as a hysteric and an eccentric, but the Lord will lavish his graces upon you. True works of God always meet opposition and are marked by suffering. If God wants to accomplish something, sooner or later he will do so in spite of difficulties. Your part in the meantime is to arm yourself with great patience. Father Sopoko was very sensitive to Sister Faustina. He had heard of her before and was impressed with what she had shared with him. However, he did not want to presume that he was given this gift by the Lord. He checked with various superiors about Sister Faustina. He did a lot of praying. Sister Faustina shared with him Jesus' demand for the painting and also the Feast of Mercy to be celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter. Father Sopoco decided to begin at the beginning. He chose an artist, Eugene Kasimirowski, from the village of Vilnius, to paint the image as directed by Sister Faustina. She found it difficult to communicate to the priest and the artist what needed to be done. She asked Jesus, and he explained the meaning of the image as such. The two rays denote blood and water. The pale ray stands for the water, which makes souls righteous. The red ray stands for the blood, which is the life of souls. These two rays issue forth from the very depths of my tender mercy when my agonized heart was opened by a lance on the cross. These rays shield souls from the wrath of my Father. Happy is the one who will dwell in their shelter, for the just hand of God shall not lay hold of him. I desire that the first Sunday after Easter be the Feast of Mercy. I ask of my faithful servant, Father Sopoco, that on this day he tell the whole world of my great mercy, that whoever approaches the fount of life on this day will be granted complete remission of sins and punishment. Although a feast day had not been instituted yet, on the first Sunday after Easter in 1934, our Lord asked Sister Faustina to celebrate the Feast of Mercy. In honor of this feast, she, she wore a disciplined wire belt for three hours while praying for sinners and for mercy on the whole world. Remember, she had not gotten the words of the prayer of divine mercy yet. Jesus said to her, My eyes rest with pleasure upon this house today. Sister Faustina followed this with these prophetic words. I feel certain that my mission will not come to an end upon my death, but will begin. The spring came, and amid great anticipation, the painting of the image progressed. When Sister Faustina saw it, however, she was disappointed because he was not anywhere near what Jesus looked like. But this is the case with all visionaries. Many who have had apparitions of Our Lady say that the images made by various artists could not compare with the beauty of the Lady. Sister Faustina wanted it perfect. She wanted the whole world to be able to see the beauty of the Jesus who came to her. She actually broke out into tears in the chapel. She said to him, 
who will paint you as beautiful as you are? To which Jesus replied, Not in the beauty of the color nor of the brush lies the greatness of this image, but in my grace. Sister Faustina is attacked by demons. Our Lord sent Our Lady to tell Sister Faustina that she would suffer an illness. Mary said, You will also suffer much because of the image, but do not be afraid of anything. At that moment, Sister became ill with what was diagnosed by the doctors as a cold, but was not. In later years, it will be determined that it was the beginning of tuberculosis which was running rampant throughout the world and would finally take the life of our saint. Sister Faustina had a late hour of adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. She didn't mind, however, because he was peaceful being with the Lord at that time. He shared the, his happiness with her. The prayer of a humble and loving soul disarms the anger of my father and draws down a notion of blessings. She felt good about this. But as she left the chapel, she found herself surrounded by a pack of huge, ugly black dogs, all snarling and snapping at her habit. She realized they were devils. One spoke in a fearful voice filled with the fire of hell. Because you have snatched so many souls away from us this night, we will tear you to pieces. Sister Faustina answered with complete abandonment to the Lord. If that is the will of the most merciful God, Tear me to pieces, for I have justly deserved it, because I am the most miserable of all sinners, and God is ever holy, just, and infinitely merciful. All the demons yelled out, Let us flee, for she is not alone. The Almighty is with her. They vanished, and Sister Faustina was able to walk back to her cell. But this was only one of many instances where Sister Faustina was attacked by Satan or his followers. A few, days, a few days later, she became so deadly ill, the priest had to administer the last rites of the church. Suddenly her cell was filled with black figures who raged in anger and hatred against her. One of them said, Be damned, you and he who is within you, for you are beginning to torment us even in hell. Sister Faustina countered with, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, at which point the demons vanished. The Feast of Mercy On Good Friday, April 19, 1935, at 3 o'clock, Sister Faustina entered the chapel and heard the words, I desire that the image be publicly honored. At that, she saw Jesus hanging from the cross. Only the rays of divine mercy were issuing from his heart. Sister Faustina went to Father Sopoco immediately and told him he had to place the image of Divine Mercy on the Ostra Brahma, the eastern gate of, to the city of Vilnius. A three-day celebration was being held on April 26th through the 28th for the close of the Jubilee year of the redemption of the world. This would also be the first Sunday after Easter, which is when the Lord wanted the Feast of Divine Mercy. First of all, Father Michael didn't know anything about the feast and questioned the feasibility of including this unknown image as part of the celebration. You have to understand something about Austra Brahma. It is the gate to the city of Vilnius, but it is also a chapel and shrine to Our Lady of Vilnius. It is called Our Lady of the Dawn Gate. Its history goes back to 1620 and it has been instrumental in bringing about many miracles. People from Vilnius and all over Lithuania go to the Gate of Dawn or Ostra Brahma to venerate and petition Our Lady there. So Father Supoko contention that there was not much chance of putting the image of Divine Mercy up there was right on target. It would never be permitted, he said. But before he could, he could completely talk himself out of asking, he was asked by one of the priests in charge of the ceremony if he would preach at the festivity. He was shocked and pleased and thoroughly convinced that this was the work of the Lord. He asked for the painting of Divine Mercy to be put in the window of the church near the icon of Our Lady. At first, as he had predicted, permission was denied. But suddenly, the Archbishop acquiesced and the first Feast of Mercy happened. 
Father Sopoco spoke for three days about the Lord's divine mercy. Sister Faustina beamed that, that what the Lord had asked for had finally come to pass. She heard him say, You are a witness to my mercy. You shall stand before my throne forever as a living witness to my mercy. Then Jesus said to her, I desire that this feast be a refuge and a shelter for all souls, but especially for poor sinners. Souls are being lost in spite of my bitter passion. I am giving them the last hope of salvation, that is, recourse to my mercy. If they will not glorify my mercy, they will be eternally lost. No soul will be justified until it turns with trust to my mercy. And this is why the first Sunday after Easter is to be the Feast of Mercy. On that day, priests are to tell everyone about my great and unfathomable mercy. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy On Friday, September 13, 1935, the world was given the most beautiful gift possible, the gift of His Divine Mercy to the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Sister Faustina's description of it is extraordinary. In the evening, when I, when I was in my cell, I saw an angel, the executor of divine wrath. He was clothed in a dazzling robe, his face gloriously bright, a cloud beneath his feet. From the cloud, bolts of thunder and flashes of lightning were springing into his hands, and from his hand they were going forth, and only then were they striking the earth. When I saw this sign of divine wrath, which was about to strike the earth, and in particular a certain place, which for good reasons I cannot name, I began to implore the angel to hold off for a few moments. The world will do penance, but my plea was a mere nothing in the face of the divine anger. Just then I saw the Most Holy Trinity. The greatness of its majesty pierced me deeply, and I did not dare to repeat my entreaties. At that very moment, I felt in my soul the power of Jesus' grace, which dwells in my soul. When I became conscious of this grace, I was instantly snatched up before the throne of God. Oh, how great is our Lord and God, and how incomprehensible His holiness! I will make no attempt to describe this greatness, because before long we shall all see Him as He is. I found myself pleading with God for the world, with words I heard interiorly. As I was praying in this manner, I saw the angel's helplessness. He could not carry out the just punishment which was rightly due for sins. Never before had I prayed with such inner power as I did then. The next morning, when I, when I entered the chapel, I heard these words interiorly. Every time you enter the chapel, immediately recite the prayer which I taught you yesterday. When I had said the prayer in my soul, I heard these words. This prayer will serve to appease my wrath. You will recite it for nine days on the beads of the rosary in the following manner. First of all, you will say one, our Father, and hail Mary, and I believe in God. Then on the our Father beads, you will say the following words. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. On the Hail Mary beads, you will say the following words. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. In conclusion, three times you will recite these words. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. So on this momentous day, one of the most powerful devotions the church has ever known was given to us. Almost immediately from the time the first prayer cards were printed, people began praying the devotional prayer. Before Faustina's death and before the world even knew about her, the devotion to the divine mercy of Jesus had begun. Actually, that's what both Jesus and Sister Faustina wanted, to get the word out to the people about the merciful heart of Jesus and the power of that mercy. Remember, this was Poland. In the early 1920s, they had been victimized by Joseph Stalin in his bid to destroy the country. In 1921, 20,000 of the military of Poland were taken by Soviet soldiers to a place called Katyn Forest, 
deep within Russia and executed. The Polish military were dumped into in a mass grave. Now it was 1935. Within four years, the people of Poland will again be taken over by a ruthless dictator, and this one, Adolf Hitler, was a every bit as treacherous as Joseph Stalin. Between the two, they were the most violent tyrants our century has known. The people of Poland needed help. The month before Sister Faustina was given the Chaplet of Mercy on the Feast of the Assumption, Our Lady came to her in the chapel. She came over to Sister Faustina and covered her with her mantle. She said to her, Offer these vows for Poland. Pray for her. Poland will need a sign from the Lord that he was with them, watching over them, guarding them, protecting them. And while the Polish people suffered devastating losses at the hands of the Nazis, 5 million civilian casualties and 600,000 military, they still had their God to hold on to. When we interview Sister Elizabeth and Sister Gracia at the Shrine of St. Sister Faustina in Krakow in May 1993, the month after the beatification of Sister Faustina, they told us that devotion to Divine Mercy began even before World War II. During the war, soldiers and prisoners of war carried the little prayer card given to Sister Faustina by our Lord Jesus on September 13, 1935. They always held on to their faith and hope in the divine mercy of Jesus. Jesus had told Sister Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy should be prayed over sick people who were dying. On Friday, December 11, 1936, she was taken to the sanatorium for tuberculosis. After Sister received communion, she could feel God's presence. She was experiencing his passion. During the night, she was awakened. She knew she had to pray for a sick or dying person. The next day, Saturday, December 12, 1936, she entered the ward and saw a dying person. She inquired when the agony had begun and was told it had begun during the night. All of a sudden, sister heard the Lord tell her, Say the chaplet which I taught you. Taking her rosary, she knelt down beside the dying woman and prayed the chaplet of divine mercy. The woman died in the aura of grace. After staying by the woman's side for a time, Sister Faustina walked back to her own room. God the Father spoke to her. At the hour of their death, I defend as my own glory every soul that will say this chaplet, or when others say it for a dying person, the indulgence is the same. When this chaplet is being said by the bedside of a dying person, God's anger is placated and unfathomable mercy envelops the soul, and the very depths of my tender mercy will be moved for the sake of the sorrowful passion of my son. The Hour of Great Mercy On October 10, 1937, Sister Faustina was given knowledge from Jesus on another great aspect of divine mercy, the Hour of Great Mercy. He instructed her, at three o'clock, implore my mercy, especially for sinners, and if only for a brief moment, immerse yourself in my passion, particularly in my abandonment at the moment of agony. This is the hour of great mercy for the whole world. I will allow you to enter into my mortal sorrow. In this hour, I will refuse nothing to the soul that makes a request of me in virtue of my passion. Devotion to Divine Mercy One of the most frustrating things about the mission given Sister Faustina by the Lord was how to get the word out to the people, how to foster devotion to Divine Mercy. He told her many times how important it was to spread the message of Divine Mercy. Sister Faustina had no way to do this other than through her spiritual director, Father Sopoco, and she had to settle for his timetable. What she did not know but suspected every time she heard from him or saw him at the convent was that he was having a great difficulties getting permission to spread the message. As we said before, in 1936, he was able to get prayer cards printed with the image of divine mercy on one side and the prayers on the other. Sister Faustina had pressured him into having the image of divine mercy present at the gate of dawn in Vilnius 
for the special three-day feast in April 1935. But the devotion went very slowly. She was constantly agitated about it, upset that she was not doing the Lord's will because he kept mentioning it to her. Her story is very much like that of the little flower of Lisieux, St. Therese. St. Therese was really little known in her lifetime by her own community, but due to her autobiography of a soul written under obedience, the whole world came to know of her spirituality. Sister Faustina was only known in her lifetime as a doorkeeper or gardener. It wasn't until after her death that Mother Michaela began telling the sisters at the various houses that it was Faustina to whom our Lord Jesus had given the message of divine mercy. The mission, the devotion to divine mercy, really exploded after her death. Sister Faustina goes to her lover. Sister Faustina suffered terribly with tuberculosis. It is a debilitating disease which completely destroys the body. She went through a period of suffering beginning in 1934. When the first symptoms of this dreaded disease came upon her, her condition deteriorated steadily until she had to be admitted to a sanitarium in December 1936. From that time until her death on October 5, 1938, her condition went up and down like a roller coaster. She wound up spending more time in the sanitarium than out from that time until her final days. Sister Faustina lived under the shadow of doubt and suspicion all her life. Her superiors had a difficult time believing all that she told them was happening with her and Jesus. She lived under the scornful eye of many of the sisters of her community. But the Lord always told her to accept these crosses for the sake of his sorrowful passion. She even made a scorecard score of how many victories and how many defeats she experienced in her endeavor to give this gift to the Lord. Even on the day she died, some of the sisters who were antagonistic towards her would not come to make the sign of the cross on her forehead or pray over her. In later years, they grieved over their judgment of Sister Faustina and prayed for her forgiveness and intercession. Once Sister Faustina was dead and buried in the convent cemetery, and word spread that she was the instrument that the Lord had used to bring the devotion of divine mercy to the faithful, many people began coming to the convent cemetery to pray for the intercession of this simple little nun. Then, when Father Sopoko's booklet was released, which included parts of the message of divine mercy, the devotion took off like wildfire. But for the most part, it was known only in connection with Sister Faustina. Sister Faustina once prophesied, I feel certain that my mission will not come to an end upon my death, but will begin. O doubting souls, I will draw aside for you the veils of heaven to convince you of God's goodness, so that you will no longer continue to, to wound with your distrust the sweetest heart of Jesus. God is love and mercy. The brutal invasion of Poland on September 1, 1939, a little less than a year after the death of Sister Faustina, became an instrument to spread divine mercy all over the world. Wherever Pauls were sent, they brought with them the message of the Lord's divine mercy and the story of the simple, uneducated little nun in Poland to whom the Lord gave the message. God was making his divine love known to this world steeped in ruthlessness and fear and so in need of his mercy. The work of divine mercy has undergone many struggles in the almost 60 years since the death of Sister Faustina, but the Lord has raised up powerful men in the church, especially Carl Cardinal Watila, who defended the devotion of divine mercy. The devotion had been banned from being practiced from 1959 to 1978 because of inaccuracies in the translations. However, during the pontificate of John Paul II, errors were rectified, the devotion was reinstated, and on April 18, 1993, the first Sunday after Easter, the day designated as the Feast of Divine Mercy, Sister Faustina Kowalska was beatified at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. In Sister Faustina's diary, she wrote that our Lord Jesus said to her, I bear a special love for Poland. 
and if she will be obedient to my will, I will exalt her in might and holiness. From her will come forth and spark that will prepare the world for my final coming. And that spark was Pope John Paul II. Praise Jesus. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.